Hi and hello and welcome to the Agile Coffee Podcast. This is episode 31. My name is Victor Bonacci. You can reach me on Twitter at Agile Coffee. Are you enjoying your summer? Assuming you're in the Northern Hemisphere like me, we are in the midst here at the podcast, in the midst of our summer series where we set each episode to a theme, trying to get the gang together around our schedules. Everyone's taking vacations or finding other jobs. Um, it sometimes is difficult and challenging. So uh, we thought we'd shake things up over these next few summer months and uh, provide a little bit of a different twist on the typical Agile Coffee format. As you recall, in episode 30, uh, we recorded that at the beach where Dr. Dave and I broke down a bunch of Agile events, what it takes to put them together and what you hope to get out of them. Today's session is a standard lean coffee, but it includes a number of guests who were new to Scrum. Also, they're at a, a training event, so you're probably going to hear a little bit about what their expectations were coming into the training event and what their expectations are going forward as they're introduced to uh, high school students that they will be working with over the next few weeks. Upcoming in episode 32, you're going to hear some interviews from uh, some of the attendees, the volunteers, and award recipients from Scrum Day San Diego that was held back a few weeks ago in San Diego. And episode 33 is once again on the road, recorded at the Scrum Coaching Retreat in Seattle. It was a very fun time, and you're going to hear not only a lean coffee with some brand new voices, but you're going to hear kind of my takeaways from the sessions and the structure of what a what a Scrum Coaching Retreat is. Um, very interesting stuff. And now, between you and me... There may even be a crossover episode with another fine podcast later this summer. But that's still TBD. And speaking of things coming up later in the summer, are you headed to the Agile 2015 event in Washington, D.C.? Well, if so, and even if you're not, you should consider the Agile Coach Camp that's coming up the Saturday right prior to Agile 2015 also in Washington, D.C. Go to agilecoachcamp.us, and you can get more information about this one-day open space event. It's a fun time. I won't be there this year. However, we had the Agile Coach Camp out here in April on the West Coast, and, uh, and the, these coach camps are just a ton of fun. And because it is happening the, week, uh, the weekend prior to the Agile 2015 conference put on by the Agile Alliance, you're going to have a host of luminaries there um, that you could not find anywhere else in this universe. So check it out. Go to agilecoachcamp.us. Find out more information for the Agile Coach Camp coming up in Washington, D.C. on August 1st. Get your ticket now. And so, hey, I've got a question for you. How would you... That's right, you... (laughs) looking right at you. How would you like to be on an upcoming episode of the Agile Coffee Podcast? Now, as you know, or if you don't know, we record these all face-to-face. So I bring some microphones, portable recorder to a location, and we sit around a table, look each other in the eyes, or not, and, um, and record them in a group, which is all fine and good, but in this modern day and age, with all the technologies that allow us to have virtual meetings, we have yet to record anything over the internets. It's something that I'd like to do, and if people are interested, namely you, I'm still looking right at you, 
uh, we'd love to have you, have you as a guest. So reach out to me on Twitter using my handle at Agile Coffee and let me know. I'd love to expand the conversation, let more people in on this, uh, this fun that we're having. And who knows, if the interest is high enough, the program could go from every other week to maybe once a week. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? The more voices, the more topics, the more different views that we have on any given issue, the better. I think that it informs all of us and helps us make better decisions when we evaluate uh, what comes up in our daily Agile lives. Well, now this introduction is going on a little bit long, and uh, bear with me, we're almost at the episode, but I just wanted to let you know that the lean coffee that you're about to hear was recorded in the middle of a class. These guests were being trained to learn how to facilitate an upcoming series of sessions with, uh, with the high school students, and so they spent two Saturdays preparing for that, and this is in the middle of one of those Saturdays. So the the lean coffee itself, while it was important for them to understand the mechanics of how a lean coffee went, and, and it was important for me to hear their opinions about the different topics that they spoke on, um, still it was it was time-boxed uh, pretty quickly so that the lean coffee you're about to hear doesn't, doesn't fill the full amount of time as a regular Agile Coffee podcast. So I've got a couple minutes to play with. And, and for the last minute, <laughs> I'll just, I'll just uh, say one thing, and then I'll turn it over to the Lean Coffee here. Um, you may not know, but we have a website, agilecoffee.com, and the show notes for this podcast are there, agilecoffee.com slash episode 31. A couple of weeks ago, I put up two posts back-to-back. -back. Uh, the first one on the 18th of June is entitled The Pair Coaching Domino Game. For those of you who know me, I've been interested in the topic of pair coaching for quite some time. I've been speaking on it for over a year about different roles that are involved in pair coaching, what does pair coaching mean, and um, trying to gain insights on how we can use a partner in the workplace for increasing our own learning and being more effective at the jobs that we do. So I was trying to develop a coaching game uh, using dominoes. And um, there's a video on the post, um, so I encourage you to look at that. Give me any feedback, what you think of the game. Is that something that you think can be useful in the workplace or in a training session so that we can kind of expand the dialogue of what coaching is, what pair coaching is specifically? Um, there's also a couple of handouts on there, too, that I was pretty happy to share and make available with the attendees, and I got some pretty good feedback on there. So that's the pair coaching domino game. And then on the 20th of June was a post called What is a Scrum Master? So in addition to these podcasts, I also hold local meetups where common questions centered around what is a Scrum Master come up often. And so I figured I would start a post where I do my best job to play the role of economist. And I say, on the one hand, a Scrum Master should be allocated 100% to one team. But on the other hand, maybe there's a case where a Scrum Master could be uh, doing other duties on the team in addition to Scrum Master roles or having other teams in addition to their one team. So I try to take multiple points of view and provide more, hmm, maybe more questions than I do specific answers because in our job, things are always changing and every team, every situation is unique. So I feel like sometimes there is not always a black and white answer to these questions. So go ahead and have a look at um, both of those posts. 
the pair coaching domino game, as well as what is a scrum master, you could just go to agilecoffee.com slash posts. They should be right up at the top uh, if you're listening to this in uh, in the summertime of 2015. And uh, leave some comments. I'd be really happy to to hear back from from readers and listeners and uh, hear what you have to say. Well, that's it from me. Thanks for holding off so long. Let's dive right in to Agile Coffee Podcast, Episode 31. We are listening to episode 31 of the Agile Coffee Podcast, and today I am privileged to be again with Dr. Dave Cornelius here in the library of... Estancia High School in Costa Mesa, California. So so tell us what we're doing here. Hey, we're, we're doing like the five Saturdays train to facilitator workshop. We have about 20 people from Orange County, Los Angeles. We're teaching them how to really teach Scrum, Agile best practices, software development concepts, and a bunch of other soft skills to high school students because in a few weeks, we're going to have about 30 high school students that we're teaching Scrum and Agility and software development concepts. Right. Now, this is the second of two Train the Facilitators This today? is the second workshop, yes. Right. And then you have the five Saturdays with the students. It's actually yes. seven Saturdays with it's students? It's actually five Saturdays Just with five. the students. Okay. The, the, the facilitators, if they want to, could come to all seven because they had two full day training. Right. And then they get the map. As a matter of fact, they run the next five Saturdays with the students. Nice. Um, so that goes through June and into July. And then you've got the, um, the tie up the ceremony day. So I'll be here today for, like we just said, the second of the two train the facilitators. Yep. Uh, I'm going to do a little agile coffee with some of the participants of that. So they're, they may or may not have been scrum practitioners in their daily lives. Um, and then I'll be coming back here in a few weeks uh, to wrap up, and I'll I'll do another Agile Coffee then with the students. Yeah, that'll be fun and exciting to hear what they have to say based on what they have learned and yeah. how they're going to apply that to their lives. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to that. All right, so we're going to get going here with uh, with a brand new cast of uh, cast of characters on the Agile Coffee Podcast, episode thirty one. All right, we're here in the basement, uh, a basement full of heroes, I might add. You guys are all uh, Scrum and Five Saturdays heroes going on today. So so welcome. This is episode 31 of the Agile Coffee Podcast, and um, we've got an audience here, too. Hi, audience. How are you doing today? <laughs> Very good. So um, uh, today what we're going to do is do an Agile Coffee, uh, a lean coffee around in a round table, actually, um, based on the theme of Five Saturdays Train the Trainer. So you guys are all participating in uh, today's second of two Train the Trainer workshops, and uh, I'd kind of like to hear how that's going. We've got a number of, of topics on the table, but first I'd like to just go around and introduce everyone. Um, maybe I'll just have you all say your names, and uh, if you have a, a Twitter address that you'd like to share, uh, with the audience, uh, feel free to do that. And I'll start on my left. Hi, my name is Evelyn Crofts. Hi, my name is Keith Montgomery. Curtis Gilbert. And my name is Seth Silvernell. Okay, this is great. We've got um, we've got a ton of votes for um, for a lot of our topics here. We're going to start with uh, first of all, Keith. Is this one yours? Yeah, yeah, that was mine. Planning and execution. I can't read upside down too well, but why don't you uh, why don't you start us off? Okay. Well, it's comforting to know that I'm not the only one with this. Uh, this problem. <laughs> so it's balancing 
the family, work, home, all the different things that are actually t- chores. What we talked about is today tasks that we put on our to-do list that you only should have so, only, so many on your Kanban board or on your, on your to-do list at any given time. And you're always grooming your backlog. But the fact is, is when, when do we know what, what's urgent versus important, urgent and important, all those things that keep going back and forth between the to-do list and the backlog. And what gets very difficult is it's almost, with kids especially, you have to multitask. There's other things. Well, at least that's a belief that I have is you, there's a, you have to multitask. And so what I'm really interested in hearing is everybody's thoughts about how, how they, I don't know if you can solve this problem, but how we at least can approach it in a way where it's sane. And what's the actual question? Which which not how to nugget? Mul- how to multitask, or how to not how to multitask, or how, how to, to continue to manage that to do yeah. list that it doesn't overwhelm because it quickly can get to an overwhelming yeah. state. I think that you right. were talking about that, Evelyn. It's like it quickly um, you have this great plan for the day, and then everybody else's plans mm-hmm. yeah. start to come into it, and people you're responsible for. The fact is, is that yeah. has to be part of your day. And wait a minute, yeah. I'm now over capacity and all the different <laughs> things that we talk about. <laughs> Do you guys use a, a personal Kanban board at home? In the yes, home? try to. Yeah. We've got one. <laughs> My son is just one, so he's we can't get him on board with us. Mm. But the best I can do is get my husband on board with me. Mm. Um, I find that our stuff falls into categories. They're sort of like the big long-term projects. We're ripping out our lawn. Stuff that you kind of have to do on the weekends. Then there's more day-to-day stuff. And then there's um, sort of smaller projects. Baby-proofing goes in. And, you know... We kind of try to have sort of that regular time planning meeting to sit down and say, well, what's important and what can we put off till later? Because you can put baby-proofing in the, like, God, we really want to do this. But until it actually comes to that point where we're saying, well, he's actually getting into this cabinet now, it can be on the to-do list for as long as I want, but other things keep sort of, like, come up higher priority. So it's sort of important to have that conversation about, like, well, how much do we really need to do now and what can we put off till later? And so having almost categories of things but breaking them into what has to be done now and what can wait till later is a really important part of our managing our task mm-hmm. um, backlog and not getting too overwhelmed. I want to add to that. Um, I actually was uh, coaching some families on how to do this. And uh, what we actually had was uh, you, you, one combine did not do the job. Because there were project combines and there were operational combines, uh, boards, and that's what we ended up breaking it into. So we didn't kind of mix in the two because an operational activity is different than a project activity in a classical sense. So we had uh, one where the kids' boards, which was designed for their chores and the things that they were asking them to do in kind of an operational sense on an ongoing basis, that board, they managed it. It was visual. We created uh, games around it. Hey, when you've got five stickies that you're done, come and cash it in for we're going to do something fun. Uh, so it was obvious to me, soft, small family with a couple kids. So then the, the other Kanban board was designed for more kind of project stuff, like you said, like let's say kid-proof the house or, you know, uh, organize the garage. So it was multiple projects but in a project context on that board so we separated the two and it made it much more manageable and easier to digest this is a project thing and this is something i'm looking for my kids to do on a regular ongoing basis and it was actually fun they actually kind of had got a kick out of the idea that there was their color you didn't have to say did you do your take the trash out you just said god your board's looking kind of boring (laughs) it's not moving you know and uh, and it made it a little more animated and fun 
How about when things are dynamic, though? That's because, I mean, categorizing and, and being able to control certain things. It's yeah. when I have four or five lives that are now something yeah. could happen in their life, the variables that could occur mm-hmm. that all of a sudden showstopper, to, to borrow Robbie's ideas. You know, it's like all of a sudden now all the things that were on the to-do list and were you were in process with needs to be quickly regroomed, reprioritized, and, oh, by the way, probably shelved, even though it was important. It's not as important as this. And then you're backlogged. Or you're, you know, that's where that's where I'm. That's what I was trying to express here. Let so, it go. <laughs> become one. With, uh, so I Don't mainly stress. can only speak from no. from a professional standpoint, from a work standpoint. But what I've done working with teams who have to deal with not just creating a brand new product, but deal with a legacy system, right. a system that's already in place. It's full production. If you have to drop everything to deal with a production issue, that's number one always. Period. And what we've generally done with that is um, you work with what's called a buffer. And what that allows us to do is we look at um, how much time you have in general that you're spending doing these emergency things, and you track that as well so that you can actually see compared to my planned work versus my unplanned. I'm always seeing that 30% of my work, we have to just jump and scramble on this. So now I have this data from our next from our previous sprint, and I say, okay, let's try planning with this 30% pushback, knowing that I'm going to still have these things that are in my backlog ready to go, and we can grab them if we don't have an emergency this time. But I know that based upon past experience, we want to limit ourselves to, so that we can actually say we're delivering 100% still, this buffer. With, you know, as you get toward the end of the sprint, if no craziness comes up, hey, we hit our goal. Let's go for a stretch goal. Let's pull one more thing in, still stating that we completed everything we said we were, would originally complete, but no emergencies this time. So we were able to do it moving forward and get some extra work done. So if I'm hearing correctly, fires, you can start to look at them, list them, mm-hmm. and then you can manage in the future based on fires it, that occur. You, you yeah. record not just how well you did on your planned work, but how much did we have to deal with unplanned work this last spring. Yeah. What's that look like on your board? Um, for me, uh, we do a, um, a we haven't gotten into this, we do a, a capacity-based tracking. So it's how many uh, you know hours that we spent doing a task. That's one thing when you're getting more into your planning that you can do in sprint planning is you take the little tasks and you say, this is a one-hour task, this is a two-hour task. And then when you have extra stuff come in that's introduced, you write those on the fly. You have a little emergency section and you say, I had to do, you know, I had to recode this because of a bug and you put it was three hours and it goes up there. So regardless of planned or unplanned, I have a total pool of hours our team spent doing work, period. And then I can compare percentages. Hmm. We call those in work our priority zero bugs. Uh, Everything has to stop to fix those and they go in as stories, sometimes small stories and if you're doing story points, they they get sized based on how much effort they took. You guys want to move on to the next topic then? Let's uh, let's bring this one in. Uh, Seth, is this yours? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, so this goes to a topic that, well, we haven't quite introduced here with us um, in our in our five Saturdays, but it was a general thing that came up when we started looking at what we're what we're doing is velocity based planning. So we're doing um, you know look at the relative size of these stories, look at the stories we've done in the past, and based on those numbers, let's bring the same number of stories in. 
Um, and what I've done to contrast that is a capacity-based planning. And when, when you take a story and you break it down into the little daily tasks that you're going to do, it's a one-hour chunk here, it's a two-hour, we actually look at, and that goes back to all of our total hours that we can get done, done as a team, and we, we limit it not based on the story points, but based on how many hours did we actually, when we granularly planned, can we fit as a team. So um, in my experience, what that's done is because I'm only saying estimating an hour versus three days or, or you know, versus a, an eight uh, in complexity, I can be more accurate. So being able to do a planning from that level of, of accuracy gets us way closer to, to being able to hit a plan every time. Um, in my experience, that accuracy is false. It just, you've missed stuff. Um, so we would do points because that would, two things. One, um, it would allow us to have what we would call chunks of work that weren't necessarily broken down. And then as they sort of discovered exactly what needed to be done, we put in tasks during the sprint to reflect what, what we were doing. That way on a day-to-day basis, we're communicating exactly what we're doing, but we're not projecting out, hey, 13 days from now, I think I'll be doing this task because that is harder to do and is less accurate in my experience. Um, and it's, um, I think over time people become more accurate, in air quotes here, about their points because they so, well, I don't know exactly what all the tasks are, but I've got this feeling that there's sort of like this chunk of work here that's going to take so a while to work through. I can't put all the tasks in at this moment until I do dive into this level. But, you know, we know that it's going to be, you know, at sort of a medium high level of complexity. So that's where I personally shift through velocity planning or move, lean towards it. Hmm. Uh, Yeah, I'm just seagull swooping in. Um, So I've seen that in teams that have not very much T-shaped knowledge, in other words, there's one person on the team that can do a specific task. Maybe it's like database um, schema work or something like that. And there's a lot of stories in the sprint that have that activity, and we say, okay, we've already planned based on user story points, you know, um, velocity, and now we're going to take a second look at this to see if we're going to bottleneck on our one person that can do those tasks, because then we know that we're planning to fail if, if we aren't taking into account sustainability. The guy can work, you know, eight hours a day, and... Even worse, if the team is starting a lot of stories at the same time and they're all finishing at the end of the sprint, all of a sudden this person has like 32 hours worth of tasks to do in like less than a 24-hour time frame. So it's sort of a sanity check is the way that we use it as a second pass across our sprint planning. And that's a special circumstance. Right, yeah. How do you get around that circumstance? So we have to give up sometimes on stories and say, you know what? We should have in the past invested in capacity creation by having cross-functional training, having people paired work and shadow to learn how to at least be at a crawl speed in that activity so that we can offload this Mm -hmm. concentration of task work from this one person. Otherwise, what we do is yeah. say, okay. Take a short-term hit. Yeah, take that story out that's you know most intensive on that one bottleneck, and it's going to take more sprints. And 
I'll yeah, go to one more other point in there. The because you did you did mention to their level of, of of being wrong, their level of accuracy. Being wrong on a one hour task, my plus minus say thirty percent, fifty percent even on that wrongness is based on a very tiny increment versus like a complexity level of say five versus eight versus thirteen. If we picked that wrong, this wrong is much easier to correct for and to adjust for versus like this this thing was wrong. I guess my is not that the one hour any individual task is wrong, but rather that you've missed tasks or you um, you that you've got sort of um, once the, I think most pro- most probably when it's not very spelled out work is when this is you have a better sort of conceptual idea of this is hard. I mean, I had a number of times I had one team that sort of did both, and sometimes they would pull their number down and be like, well, there's not really that many tasks here, so this really must not be that hard. And then every time, the numbers would end up going back up because they were right with their original estimate. Just um, one point, you know, we use Fibonacci numbers because it settles disagreements very quickly in sprint planning. But if you think about it, Fibonacci numbers are actually artificial buffering because they do spread apart. And we tend to say, okay, we've got a, a five versus an eight. Let's round up to the eight just so we can go on to the next thing and not, like, put our head in a noose. And by doing that, you have this margin for error that you're actually building into your story point level. As long as your managers aren't in the meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. All right, so uh, let's let's just do one topic here, and then we'll rotate some some other voices into the conversation. Next up here we have uh, Agile Sneak Attack in Waterfall Environments. Curtis. Yeah, that's me. Um, So typically... Yeah, we, we know there's a great contrast between the two. And um, I'm only seeing, from a feasibility perspective, just a few practices that you can port over in the waterfall um, without uh, significantly standing out like a sore thumb that you're trying to do something different. Um, daily stand-ups is one thing that I see you can do, and you can call them huddles, stand-ups. They're kind of the same concepts. Um, so that works, and I'm going to kind of highlight some of the things that I'm doing that work and then kind of talk about some of the things that I would like to figure out a little more sneakier way to uh, slide it in there. Um, that one works well. Retrospectives uh, are pretty much like lessons learned. So from a waterfall perspective, you got that kind of parallel. So those are good. Um, you know, one of the – those are probably the two. Estimating is when you go into the estimating, and, of course, the tracking is different. The intervals are different. Um, trying to move some of my projects more towards uh, delivering functionality versus phase reports like requirements or design, which I think are meaningless, and actual deliver functionality. That's the borderline. Now, the areas that I guess I'd like some – uh, commentary or input might be, okay, so how to reconcile if you were going to try to do the dance with between classical progressive project tracking and reporting, which is percent completes and that sort of thing, and budget burns, what might be a good way to have as an, a companion to that where you have the burn down? So some way to reconcile the two. So you could actually use both uh, viewpoints from a metrics perspective kind of continue to drive some of the reasoning why Agile may be better because of the visibility you get that at a closer tactical level versus I'm 28% on requirements. What does that really mean? Who cares? That would be one that I'd like some some thoughts on. And then the other one is um, 
you know, again, it's back to the estimating. We're having a lot of conversation around estimating and this ridiculous point of view. I'm sorry, ridiculous point of view. Make sure <laughs> I say that again. That somehow the requirements won't change. The users won't somehow become enlightened somewhere later in the project and realize they need X instead of XY. Uh, and just the, I guess, some other ways of thinking about how to not have the change request mentality, but how to actually change the conversation a little differently where it's not the ominous change request, but rather it's something else. So I think those are two or three different views that I think would be sure. Yeah, helpful. One thing that I found is if people are kind of resistant to talking about Agile, what you say is, okay, let's, let's not even do Agile, but rather is it okay if I just check in with you in two weeks and show you what we've built? Oh, yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, I want to just show you what the team's done for the last two weeks, get your feedback on it, see how we're going. That sounds great. Well, what you're doing is you're doing a product sure. review at I the like end that. of a, okay. a sprint. Um, so, I mean, that's that's one little kind of sneaky thing that you can do is don't call it Agile at all or a product demo at oh, all. Oh, I, I don't use Agile. It's a yeah. foreign word. So right. how about the developer? Because that's the other key part. Mm-hmm. It's nice to sell the customer on that, but the actual mm-hmm. developer has to think different. One um, really nice cheat that I've seen is the POC, or proof of concept. So we're not saying that we're going live. We're just releasing a proof of concept. (laughs) And, you know, if it's not what we really want, you know, we can go back and create another proof of concept. Could take two weeks, could take four, but, you know, it's something that people seem to be used to. You know, um, it's a meme that they've adopted already, and it's a wonderful way of divorcing your professional persona, your reputation, from your work, which is to say it's only a proof of concept. From the get-go, we assume it's a throwaway, and the reason we're doing it is to see if it's delivering on its objective. Uh, a question to that is in your corporate environment, you have vendors and other folks that are involved. They have their mindset of going in the, the, this waterfall approach. Plus, you have people coming in and out of your project. You know, yeah. Maybe some people leave the company. Some people leave the, the vendor company. That's where I, I think that's where things get kind of lost is, is uh, you have that the factors that they're a larger project you can't control. Mm-hmm. And then you get to a place where if you don't agree on some kind of requirements up front, you, you're going to you're going to spend because different requirements will will wake their way in. I think that's where you well, you spend. Mm-hmm. And so I mean I think that it's important to put that discussion on the table and say you know aren't requirements a lot like pornography? Very hard to define, <laughs> but you know it when you see it, right? So when you've got these you know um, stakeholders who say, well, I think I know what I want, but then they change their story. They, they know it when they see it, so you got to build something first. All right, I think that brings us to an end for this segment. I want to thank the, uh, the guests currently around the table, and, um, and let's pause and see what happens. Let's go ahead. All right, so uh, after that brief intermission, we've shuffled a few fresh faces in, so welcome. Uh, welcome again to Agile Coffee. And let's go around the table and just say our names. Hi, uh, this is Angela. Uh, I've been involved in the Agile projects for past three years, but I'm still uh, quite interested to learn more about the Agile. Hi, I'm Robbie Smith, involved in the Five Saturdays program and learning about Agile and Scrum. Hi, I'm Purnima. I've, I've been in this Five Saturdays program. Hi, I'm Valar. 
my full name is Valarmati Rangasamy, but Valar is good. <laughs> Joe Daly. All right, and we've got um, we've got one topic that's left, and Robbie introduced this topic, and we voted on it last time around. So it says um, showstopper identified in daily Scrum. You want to start us off with that? What's that mean? Well, I'm just learning about Agile and Scrum and the the daily stand-up meeting that uh, occurs during the Scrum process. And I wanted to know what or how is a showstopper or a major impediment handled that's identified in the daily Scrum? That's great. So have you had any experience then with the daily Scrum? And and can you – do you have anything you want to call out from? Well, no, not exactly because I'm not working in a – Agile Scrum environment, but I was okay. just curious uh, how that would be handled if people had uh, some experience with Good. that and how that would be addressed. I mean, would would the Scrum or the Sprint, excuse me, be canceled? Or, I mean, how that, I mean, if it's so major like an architectural okay. issue, how is that handled? Um, so she posed this question to me, and I, and I forced her to come to Lean Coffee to talk about it. <laughs> And uh, the answer for me is uh, you never stop. You never stop the spread. Uh, and if we're dealing with small increments of stuff, the user stories they're small enough. This is showstopper in in the world that you're used to is a huge thing. Showstopper in our world, hopefully, it's just small, right? I mean, maybe the story doesn't get done. Maybe we we need to pull in architects. Maybe the story gets larger. But showstopper in, is a different definition in, in the agile world than you're used to, in, in my opinion. So we're going to deal with it, and we may not finish the story that we're working on. That's part of the, part of what happens. We're going to learn. We're going to learn from that experience, and we're going to um, come up with a better plan on our next sprint. Part of if we have to stop the story that we're working on, maybe we can use that time to that we had in that story to. Uh, get the architects involved and get ready for the next sprint so we can um, so it isn't a showstopper per se it's a hiccup mm-hmm. okay? because because it's a smaller thing so we're dealing with hiccups and not showstoppers so I'm gonna I'll, I'll leave it at that for right now oh no show showstoppers in your world that's that's a nice world that you live in <laughs> <laughs> well uh, if we're breaking down stories good I, yeah. I, I to showstopper to me is a you know, this thing goes to the president and vice president. So those showstoppers in our world are uh, less dramatic, right. I, I'm hoping, right? Um, b- because we're going to – I'm in a two-week sprint or a one-week sprint. I mean, if you have a four-week sprint, maybe you can have a showstopper. But if you're in a two-week sprint, your your plans are pretty small, right? So your, your showstopper says, oh, we're not going to complete what we planned in two weeks. As opposed to when we're dealing in the waterfall world, oh, our showstoppers, we're not going to produce – our last six months of work is uh, damaged because we found this architectural issue and we got to go redesign things. So the difference between the agile and the waterfall world is is that. Does that, that help? Yeah, that does. Yeah, oftentimes I've heard of um, in the past in my work experience a showstopper might be something with an environment isn't set up right or we can't deploy, we can't go to the next phase. Whereas what you're saying is that should have been planned for, whether it's through a spike where you're investigating things or, or um, you know, you're working on it with a team, pairing or otherwise, trying to get through that already. So 
like you just said, you've planned for it, you've broken the, the tasks down, or the stories down into small enough tasks that it shouldn't present any big surprises and be a showstopper. Yeah, yeah. and what Robbie's, Robbie's saying is, mm-hmm. even though we had plans mm-hmm. and we did all the spikes, maybe there's something that just, it's not going to work. Uh, all plans have, you know, some, have this risk of failure. But my, I think my point is, because we have smaller plans, that that impact to us is is not as great as it would be. So, uh, uh, talking about, so we can on the positive side, daily stand-ups. We're talking about communication every day. We found this problem within 24-hour period. So the daily stand-up is this bright point of the story, even though we have a showstopper. We found it as soon as possible, and we're learning from it. And now we, because we we have this new information, we can uh, move in a different direction, pivot pivot to a different world. But we don't cancel the sprint. I mean, if it's uh, if we've world. done if we've done enough planning and so forth, it's it's just a hiccup. It's not a major. I mean, it's right. not something major where you would warrant canceling the sprint. Because I've heard right. that term before, and I'm not sure if that's. Is that real? I mean, we don't do that, or maybe that's yeah. we're kind of off on a tangent. <laughs> Sorry. So I agree. I, mean, I agree with Joe what he said. Right? Uh, Agile is so planning driven. When we say planning driven, we are literally planning on every day. Whereas in traditional world, you just plan one day and then you are expecting just follow that plan throughout the project, right? And that's when the showstoppers that you are talking about is more probable to come up. But while you're doing it in an agile way, it's planning driven. So the probability of having a showstopper versus a hiccup is very, very low, right? But if the agile was not executed the way it should be, the team might end up having a showstopper. In that case, yes, as you said, if it's an architectural problem, none of the user stories can be developed unless the architecture problem is solved. And that is not within the team's scope. So they have to kind of wait on some external dependencies to make it happen. In that case, what you said is right. We'll have to cancel the sprint at that point and go for something which the team can actually work on, which means you redo the sprint planning, take user stories which you can actually work on um, with the prioritization. Mm-hmm. Right. I, uh, so just a quick uh, <laughs> comment. When you say stop, that is synonymous with an impediment. And if you have a scrum master that can like walk through walls in a single stride, then you give him this impediment and maybe he goes talks to the CEO. Maybe the CEO sequesters like a huge budget and more resources are brought to bear. But if there is such a thing as canceling a sprint, it's supposed to be done, according to the Scrum Guide, by the product owner who says, I'm sorry, but the stories that I told you about are no longer valuable they cannot produce value for this for this company. And the team says, we agree. And they say, okay, we made a mistake. Or circumstances changed in such a short interval, you know, two weeks, makes no more sense to proceed. Now, that's a very different situation than the showstopper impediment that you're talking about. Scrum masters live to remove impediments. Yeah, I, I would Just never agree with canceling a sprint. No, ma- no matter how bad of story you can tell me. I just wouldn't go there. Well, I think, as John said, like that circumstance where, like, hey, the market's changed, and, and it makes no sense. We're just wasting cycles if we continue well, with the sprint. I, I yeah. can see that. Cancel the sprint. But I in the s- case of showstoppers, you're saying. 
Okay, so the showstopper and we're canceling the product. Yeah, two different things. Uh, mm-hmm. Unless the company's folding, there's more work to be pulled into that sprint. Mm-hmm. So we're going to work on something, mm-hmm. right? It, the, the whole sprint plan went to nothing, right? Because of this showstopper, we still have a product backlog. Let's just pull the next one in and start working on it. And maybe a spike to try to figure out where we're going to go into our next sprint. But the sprint is on a cadence. We follow that cadence, and, it, and it's what drives our company. If we start canceling the sprints, it sets that precedent. Oh, well, I'm going to cancel the sprint, or I'm going to extend the sprint because I, well, I can do anything I want now with the sprint. But it's sort of, I don't know, I hate to say the word sacred, but it's something we follow pretty closely. We don't, we don't change those rules in, that, in my opinion. To put it in perspective, I've seen one canceled sprint in five years. I've never seen one. So uh, before we wrap up, I want to thank you, but I also want to ask if you've each got any um, any reflections on what's going on going on up there with the uh, train the trainer. Is there anything that's popped out over the last uh, couple of Saturdays that that you want to share with us before we sign off of here? Um, How's it been? Have you learned anything new? Is there something that you're now armed with and ready to take on into the next uh, five Saturdays with uh, with actual students? Yeah, so l- l- we learned last week about creative thinking and uh, innovation and iteration. So it was real. We could really use most of the things in our daily life. We, had, we learned about Kanban. I tried to use those things at my place, and it really helped me in a lot of ways as we have to plan and if you whatever the list of things to do, you can keep it in a keep it in a platform so that you can just keep on moving. So it was really helpful. And today we learned about daily scrum meeting, and it's really it's not just in the organization, but also in the personally, you can make yourself more more organized and keep make use of your time wisely. And I think uh, one thing is like since we um, most of the concepts we have been involved in the agile and the real work, but uh, also we keep practicing and uh, what uh, Dave John John has uh, been teaching us. And but one perspective things if we in future we are going to teach the students which has a totally brand new and they have yeah. no concept about what's scrum agile so i think uh, i need to be more like actors are new <laughs> brand new mm-hmm. to you know either to how to learn that or how to teach that that's the next step so i need all will be focus any um any personal like challenges or any anything that you're excited about for the next couple of weeks um taking on I'm actually very scared. High school students, yeah, I'm really scared. <laughs> yeah, because we, we, we Alyssa, I'm not quite sure what they're thinking about. What to expect? Uh, yeah, no idea. Um, it's a new experience. You have dark professionals and all those high school, you know, what they come up with. It's something new. You don't, you don't think of at this moment, maybe. Well, I think if we apply the principle of inspect and adapt, Whatever comes up in the training of the students, I think we can adapt to it. I think that's one key thing that I've learned, inspect and adapt. I mean, I like the flexibility of Agile and Scrum. Even though I'm not doing it in my job, I certainly want to take it to my job and see if I can um, get my uh, superiors to buy off on it, as well as in my private life. I mean, the, the application of the principles is just so widespread. I mean, you can use the Kanban board in it 
just about everything. So I really, really like Well, what I've seen and heard over the last uh, few hours observing you guys, I'm fully confident that you're all more than capable <laughs> of, of the task. So uh, best well, of, of luck uh, to you there. Yeah. Jeff? As, a, as the trainer here, um, you know, I hear uh, Dr. Davison uh, say, I'm a sponge. I'm, I'm just, just a vacuum and fill my, fill my sponge up. Um, but we're all, we're all learning. And I, 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 as a trainer, I'm learning. I, I mean, I'm always trying to hone my skills, uh, trying to get better, and and seeing. Oh, well, I could have done that better. I definitely could have done some stuff better today. So I'm, I'm going back, and so this is good for all of us. And uh, I'm sort of scared about the high school kids too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, the master is usually the one who's learning the most, in my opinion. Right. Um, Good luck. Best of luck with the Five Saturdays program, guys. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, All right. Let's get back to the other part of this now. <laughs> 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 <laughs>